Okay, so we are in a series on wisdom. Um, we're, probably, we're a couple weeks into it, so if you're fairly new, you're, you're in good hands. You don't have too much catch-up. And um, so I love Proverbs 8. It's just, it's beautiful. There's so much there because there's a little bit of creation. I don't know if you picked up on it, but there's a little, Jesus quotes this one. It's awesome. So it's a great little piece. And then the next, and we go into chapter 9, which is on the cover of your bulletin. The very beginnings of chapter 9 says, uh, uh, I, wisdom, I have, uh, wisdom has built her house. Wisdom has built her house, and she is hewn it. She's cut seven pillars, right? Seven pillars. So there are seven pillars of wisdom. Do you want to know what they are? S- too bad, because we don't know. It's the truth. Uh, unfortunately, there, okay, so he made, uh, the writer of Proverbs, this is, this, is, this is poetry, folks. So I know it doesn't rhyme. Like when you read Proverbs, there's no rhyming. But it is poetry. It's, it's, it's wisdom literature. And there, it's very frustrating for us of Western mind, especially if you like uh, to take notes and if you like a good five-point sermon. And when, you know, when you saw, oh, the seven pillars of wisdom. So Josh must have seven points. Well, I don't. Because they're not there. If you continue to read in chapter 9, there are, no, there are no seven points. There are no seven pillars. And so, you know, of course, theologians have got to figure these things out. What are, what, this is such an incredible mystery. What are the seven pillars of wisdom? We, we don't know. Now, some people think that, okay, well, it must be the graces. It must be you know, what we call the fruit of the Spirit, the graces of the Spirit. And uh, they're, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, gentleness, and self-control. But the problem with that, there's nine and not seven. So that's kind of confusing, right? But we, remember when we did the series on, on the fruit of the Spirit, and I was able to kind of like force the text to make it into eight? Well, there's other folks that have made it seven. But we, you can't make the Bible say what you want it to say. We just don't know what the seven pillars are. Other folks have said things like, okay, well, since it doesn't follow nine... You know, we've got this litany of, you know, to-dos in, in chapter 10. So maybe the secret is in chapter 8, what we just read. And, you know, there might be some, you know, decent arguments. Because, because in the language that we read, you know, we, wisdom says, I, wisdom, I have, I have built my house. Okay, this is in chapter 8. I have built my house, and I dwell together with what? I dwell together with prudence and righteousness and insight and to fear the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so uh, folks have said, okay, there we go. There's our seven pillars. So prudence. So, you know, you have to be cheap. That is one of the pillars is, is to be cheap, right? But it, again, this is, this, is, this is our desire to have a list of things to say, all right, if I check these things off, one, two, three, four, then my life will be perfect, Right? How many people are black and white types of people? Like there's a right answer, there's a wrong answer, just tell me the facts, I'm going to do my job, I'm going to get it done, and then you're, then you're happy. As long as it's all spelled out for you, do this and, and you're good. Well, you're going to like Proverbs chapter 10 because it is, it's, it's awesome, right? We're, read it on your own, but it's like, you know. Uh, don't commit adultery or you're, you're going to get a social disease. Uh, don't, um, don't, um, don't steal or you're going to be broke. Or don't be lazy. And if you're you know, lazy people, you know, never, they never make anything of their lives. So it's a very, it's very clear, specific set of rules 
It's guidelines to follow, and it is absolutely amazing. And it was meant to be taught, probably not in a setting like this. It, it could have been, but it was more like a, more like a parenting handbook, right? It's awesome. So initially, the Proverbs were, were meant to be, you know, you, you mom and dad and the kids all gather around the fire, and then we're going to go over these Proverbs together. And eventually, it was kind of spread out into the community, but it was, an, it was like an instruction manual. It was huge. And so, chapter 10, almost all the way to chapter 15, you've got these do's and you don'ts. And then we get into like 15 and the rest of Proverbs where it gets a little more confusing. Because it says things like, rain will fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Then we get into some areas where Bad things happen to good people. Just think about the life of Job, the most righteous guy on the planet. And a lot of bad things happen to him. And so, oh, should I pick on the, the people that like to follow the rules? Let's pick on you for a second. Because Job had some friends that liked to follow the rules too. They were people of people of the word, right? They knew the Bible inside out. And they were, they were seeing all these horrible things that happened to Job. And you know what their response was? Oh, man. You weren't following the rules, Job. You, therefore, you must have sin in your life. Right? That's what they said. And so it's confusing. Sometimes when you get into the word of God, it's confusing. That's why it's so important that when you read the scriptures and you, when you read, you know, okay, when you read these set of rules that you finish and you read the rest so that you can not just obtain knowledge so that you can become wise. See, the unfortunate truth about this world is, yes, there are right answers and there are wrong answers. It is wrong to cheat on your taxes. If you steal, you will go to jail. There's consequences, right? So we, we understand, we understand you know, the, the morality issues, and, and rightfully so. Like, uh, like, those need to be built into us. But a majority of our decisions that we have to, to make in this world, it's something like 85% of our decisions, they are in the gray area. They are in the black, they're, they're not black and white questions. They're, they're gray. Who do I marry, right? Who do I choose to spend the rest of my life with? You, you, the Bible's not going to tell you who to marry. It can give you some decent guidelines, right? You know, don't be unevenly yoked and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You, you know, don't marry an axe murderer. You can kind of figure these things out. But you're presented with two people, maybe two people that love the Lord. Which one do I choose? I don't know. Which career path do I take? Which church do I attend? How do you make these types of determinations? It requires wisdom. Because wisdom is beyond knowledge. The Bible says you've got to have wisdom and you've got to have knowledge. So knowledge is more about information. Knowledge is about more than, it's more about right and wrong. But the way that the universe and God's creation is created, it was created through wisdom. And we need to learn how to build in 
wisdom into our lives. It needs to be a structure. I mean, unfortunately, I don't have seven pillars for you, but I want you to start to think, okay, how do I, how do I, be, how do I become a wise person so that I, I can discern right from wrong, so that I can make right decisions? Do you know that you can be a completely good, moral person and follow all the rules and still make bad decisions and wreck your life? You can and so as individuals, we need to begin to begin to develop and to, to work and to function in this area of wisdom. Or, I mean, again, you, you, I'm trying so hard, Jesus. I'm following all the rules. Why is everything falling apart? Because you're, you're not making wise decisions. And the same is true for church. Did you know that? You know that God calls the body of Christ, church, to become wise and we see this. Um, look, if you, I, well, I'm going to give you some history, unfortunately. You're just going to have to put up with me. But church has made unwise decisions. Although they might be moral decisions, although they might seem like they were good decisions, they were unwise decisions because the decision wasn't based in wisdom. It might have been based in, I don't know, politics or morality or whatever you want. But the church has made some really bad choices throughout history. Not, not just talking about our church. We don't make bad choices here. <laughs> um, the cover of your bulletin. Anybody have, want to take a stab at what that, that uh, piece of architecture is? Close. I got the Vatican. You did better than first service, but you're close. Close. Give up. Florence. So close. You want a hint? It's not in Europe. Does that help out? Well, technically. But it's, it's technically not Europe. Istanbul. It's Hagia Sophia. Saint, it's, it's, the, it's the house of wisdom. Uh, Sophia, we named our child after... It's so, so nerdy. I named my child after a building. I mean, come on. But uh, this is uh, uh, wisdom in, in Greek is Sophia. It's, uh, and so this is uh, this church, this cathedral, Hagia Sophia, the house of wisdom. And it was in the city of Constantinople, which was the very center of Christendom. And the reason why I know that the church makes bad decisions is because back in the day, before Rome was Rome, before there was a Sistine Chapel, there was Hagia Sophia. And I don't know what happened, but church folks can't get along, and there was something we call the Great Schism. So the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church, they could not get along. They did not agree on specific doctrines, and so they separated it. And so there were these two major churches but the greatest of them was the one that's on your bulletin right now. And it was the center of education and art and culture. The smartest people on the planet. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was beautiful. And then it, well, we'll get into what happened. Around this time, uh, Islam was spreading. And it was spreading through military means. They, they, through military tactics, they completely had conquered all of North Africa. 
They had, t- they had conquered Jerusalem. They've, they've moved up to the Levant. They were in Turkey. They were even circling Turkey, and they were going into Europe. They were going into Romania, and they'd even taken Spain, and they were on their way to France. And it was around this time that, that, that all the dates are, I just, for the sake of time, I'm really going to be hazy on all the specifics, but during this time, the Crusades were launched. You guys know about the Crusades? Okay. Now, okay, listen to me. This is, um, you're, right now, I, I am, here, I'll hop off the pulpit. There we go. This is a history lesson, okay? So what I'm saying is, uh, it's history. It's my illustration, okay? So I'm not condoning or, uh, or opposing the Crusades. They happened. They were part of history. And so this is my illustration for you because it's going to apply to your everyday life. Europe was freaking out, and rightfully so, because they're about ready to lose their culture. They're about ready to lose their identity. And so, whether it was a word from God or whether it was a a strategy, you know, we'll let you decide that. But Pope Urban II gets this inspiration He says it was from God. It very well could be. I'm not here to judge that. But he said, our enemies, they're they're coming in from the south. And our enemies, they're coming in from the east. They are going to run over our country. We know what their objective is. Their objective is to take away our culture. And they were freaking out. and, and, And rightfully so. And so, for you strategists, the best defense is what? It was a good offense. And so they said, let's go to Jerusalem. And so they're on their way to Jerusalem. So instead of, uh, it, it worked. I mean, I mean, strategically, it did work. So instead of focusing all of their forces in Spain, instead of focusing all of their forces on the Eastern Front and Romania and Hungary and all that stuff, they went to Jerusalem. They went right for the heart of it. Very interesting, right? And they did so, and they believed that they were inspired, that they were led by the Holy Spirit. Wow. And they were successful to a certain degree. Now, I studied this. I act, not only did I study it, I read the primary sources, meaning I actually read the letters from, um, from the Crusaders. I read the, the, the chronicles of the time that were written down during that period. And I even read the Islamic accounts of what was going on during that time. I'm sorry for geeking out on you. Just bear with me. I'm, I swear it's going to apply to your life. And um, they, whether their, their motivations or whether they were led by God or not, they had a deep conviction that what they were doing was right. Like they believed in their heart that they were, they were making the right decision, that it, was, uh, that it was inspired by God. Again, whether it was or not, I'll leave that up to you. And, uh, but here's, here's the reality of it. They made a lot of really bad decisions. They were unwise folks. Even though that they're, maybe their prayer honestly, their prayer life was probably a lot more intense than ours is. It really was. But think, only a few generations earlier, we're talking about the barbarians of Europe, folks. These are Manchester United fans. They're soccer hooligans, right? 
That's the best way to explain it because they could not get along. The French were fighting with the Germans and were fighting with the Greeks. I mean, I know it's hard to, to, to grasp, but the European leaders could not get along. Joke. That's a joke right there, folks. Just watch the news. They could not get along. And they, when they launched the Crusades, even though they felt inspired, it was like a, like a knee-jerk reaction, right? It wasn't organized. They didn't plan ahead. They're like, God's calling us to do this. Let's do it. Let's go. Get your spears. Get your, get your swords. And let's hit it. And they, it was a nightmare. They had little kids. There was a, there was a children's crusade. They had little, they had kids that, that, that had this deep conviction to save Jesus from the infidels. And it ended so bad. Like they all died before they got there. It's a horrible tragedy. Even though there, there might have been some pious, holy people that were involved, the majority of the, the leaders and the princes were very selfish. And they would fight among themselves on their way to the Crusades. They even allied themselves with Muslims so they could get the upper hand on the French guys or the upper hand on the Germans or the upper hand on the English guys. That's how petty these guys are. So I'm just helping you put it into perspective. And the worst, the reason why the, the, that Hagia Sophia is on the cover of your bulletin is because on their way there, one of the Crusades, they didn't plan ahead, they didn't act wisely, they didn't get enough food, and they're starving, on, they're starving on the road. Here's the capital of all Christianity. Let's sack it. That's what they did. Brothers fighting brothers. Disunity. A lack of conviction, a lack of preparation, a lack of love. And what happened as a result of the crusaders sacking the, the capital of the Eastern Empire is it weakened the very structure and the foundation of it. Now, whether you believe what, what's going on in the Islamic world is good or bad, it is irrelevant. I'm making this as an illustration for us today. Disunity weakened the house of wisdom. Does that make sense? And they never recovered after the crusaders sacked it. They were never able to, to, to build up their, their reserves, and it just really sucked the wind out of them. And consequently, years later, later, in the 15th century, Constantinople fell to the Ottoman Empire. And thank, I mean, this is going to sound really strange. Here, I'll hop off the pit bullet. There we go. Teaching. Thank God, Solomon, the, the, the you know, Ottoman emperor guy, thank God he had a heart or he, does, he, he valued culture because any other guy would have stripped the whole thing of its art. So this is my art history guy coming out. They made this cathedral a mosque, and they, they put up uh, minarets all over the place. So if you see pictures of Hagia Sophia and you see the little things that are the little, little spires, those were, those were Muslim add-ons, the minarets. And what was once the center of Christianity, because they, they built a weak structure, because brothers were fighting brothers, because there was no unity, it fell. And it became... It became the temple of a foreign religion. Now it's a, it's a museum, so it's, it's on my bucket list. I'm going to go see it someday. So when we 
build in wisdom into our lives. When we begin to build this structure into you know, how we live, not only do we have to build it in, we have to, we have to protect it. Because I'm telling you, folks, um, the enemy of God, first of all, he wants you to fight among yourselves. That's his number one strategy. If he can pit churches against church, if he can pit people in the congregation against each other, if he can start the gossiping, if he can start the backstabbing, then his work is already done. He can just roll on in and he can set up shop and take over your temple. That, you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's how he gains control of it, is by bringing in disunity. It's, it's spiritual warfare. So my illustration is an illustration of spiritual warfare. So not only do we have to have unity, you, what, uh, what, what, I had it in my gut. I felt that this was going on, and the more that I'm listening to other speakers and preachers and pastors and evangelists, it's becoming a reality. I think I'm not far off. But what is in my gut is not only is there disunity in, you know, in the body of Christ, whatever that might look like, but there is also an alignment, or we, we have made allegiances with the enemy of God. Just like those knucklehead soccer hooligans did in the Crusades. They said, you know what? I am so selfish I need to get what I want that I'm willing to align myself with the enemy of God because it feels right, it looks right, and I'm going to do it. And that's what was going, that, that's what we have to be aware of. So we need wisdom. Because although moral absolutes are absolutely crucial, I'm not discounting them. Like God does not like sin. Disobedience, he's not down with. So, his rules, his covenants, his commands, yeah, they're there for a reason. They're a big deal. But you know what we need more than just following the rules? We need wisdom. We really do. Because there is, there's these subtle things that will come into our lives that will weasel its way in. And if we're not aware, we're going to come, we're going to embrace it. And I don't know, you might be thinking like the, the usual suspects, right? Like, I don't know, uh, sexuality or, or finances. Well, you justify cheating on your taxes because the man's doing you wrong. Whatever, we do these things. We play these games. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he's writing to a young man, right? A young man that was 16 to 18 years old, that was put into a place of authority. And, 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 and Paul's being a great dad. He's bringing, he's bringing a good father. And he's, he's mentoring him and he's training him. And he's saying, all right, I know you're a young kid, but don't let that discourage you from doing the work of God. Because God's called you to do this work. And I'm here, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your spiritual father. I'm right behind you. So this is what you need to look for. This is what you need to be aware of. Because the enemy of God is going to try and weasel its way into the church. And this is what it looks like. First of all, it looks like this. Uh, you need to be aware that in your church, and this is actually prophetic too. So not only is it for the church that he was speaking in, but it's also for the church of the future because it says, um, in the end times, 
deceiving spirits will enter into the church. And you have to discern them. You have to have wisdom to, to recognize when a deceiving spirit comes into the church or comes into an individual. So I want you to be aware of that. And then he goes, not, then he, so, he, so he says there, okay, you have to be a person of discernment. You have to be a person of wisdom to be able to recognize when a deceiving spirit is coming in. And he says this. He says, in the end times, all right, you ready for this? All right, don't walk out on me. He says, preachers will preach doctrines of demons. Oh, what? What does that mean? Like men of God, churches, they're going to be preaching doctrines of demons. That just sounds like a really great name for a heavy metal band. <laughs> the, uh, 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 doctrines of demons. That is terrifying. And so I'm thinking to myself, what in the world does that mean? Have I ever done that? Have I ever preached doctrines of demons? I'm going to tell you something. There are people in the body of Christ that probably do believe that I preach doctrines of demons. So how do you get your head around that? And what is it? All right, I think it's a few things. First, if you continue in the letter that Paul writes to Timothy, he says, all right, in the end times there's going to be, uh, leaders are going to be preaching doctrines of demons. And he goes right into talking about People getting hung up on eating the right food. Hmm? Eating the right food, drinking the right drink, making sure that you're what? Following the rules. Oh. But see, that's not what we usually think. We usually think that whenever there's, there's doctrines of demons that are coming into the church, it takes the form of some new age movement that's trying to introduce some foreign thing into the church. But it does get there. But it's actually two things. It is that, but it's also legalism in its meanest form. Legalism in its meanest form. So if you're following Proverbs 10, and if you're following all these rules, and if that's all you've got and you don't have wisdom, uh, Paul would probably argue that you're lining yourself up with the doctrine of demons. Why? Because what you are saying is you're saying that my righteousness, my ability to follow the rules is going to get me to heaven, and that's all I need, and I don't need Jesus. I don't need the grace of God. Do you, does that make sense? Okay. So this is what we can fall into, and it's very easy to do it. Like, you're in a really cool quasi-evangelical, charismatic church. This is a great place. We all face the temptation of following in, falling into religion, about separating ourselves from a relationship with God and falling into religion. We all face this, this trap. All right, here we go. Any... philosophy or theology or teaching that will strip away God's power in your life, that will say you don't need to rely on the counsel of the Holy Spirit, you just need to follow the rules. God does not perform miracles today. He doesn't need to because we have a rule book instead. I'll leave that up to opinion, but I think it's dangerous. I think it's very dangerous. Then he goes on to say, so he kind of lets the, the moralists have it, right? He lets the rule followers kind of 
he kind of kicks them in the teeth a little bit. All kinds of demons. Then he lets the, the super spiritual people have it too. He does. He says, don't align yourself with silly superstitions and old wives' tales. Oh, we do this too. We do this all the time. Especially, okay, so you're either going to, I don't mean this in the political sense, but you're either, you either have a conservative worldview or a conservative disposition, and you like things that are black and white, or you have, again, this is not political, this is just, you know, explaining things, or you have more of a liberal bent where you're like, you know, I, I just, I like to feel things, right? Feelers. I, I, I'll, I'm a feeler, folks. I like to feel things. What's the problem with that? It's good because that allows, okay, like if I open myself up and if I surrender my soul and my spirit to the leadings of the Holy Spirit, and if I allow Jesus to be the head of my life instead of Josh, then God can actually get somewhere in my life. It's, I've got to surrender myself, and the only way that I can surrender myself is I have to subjectively submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's the problem with a 100% subjective faith? Do you know what the problem is? Oh, I can feel my way over here, or I can feel my way out of this relationship, or I can feel my way out of not wanting to pay that bill, right? And we're not feelers, we're believers. And so although um, I, as a, as a intuitive, well, that's how I tested on the Myers-Briggs, I'm like this intuitive, you know, freak, um, I love it, but I've got to have some objective truth to say, that's wrong. Like, if I feel like I'm going to divorce Mako because I feel that way, it's the Holy Spirit. It's leading me to divorce my wife. I just know it. What's the problem? But the Word of God says that adultery is sin. Right? Yes. And so, look, there's nothing more, uh, the, the word of God and its, its objective practical truth is so important to us in, in, in actually building in that construct of wisdom. And if we think that, that we can actually get God's approval or we can understand what wisdom truly is by saying some, some really weird things and snapping our fingers ten times and turning around, we're, we're, we're deceive ourselves. If we think that, um, all right, well, I love the grace of God. I love what Jesus did on, on, on the cross for my life. And that is so amazing. The grace that has been poured out on me that says, I don't, what does that mean? I don't need the rules. I've got Jesus' grace, right? This is the extreme. I, I don't need to follow the rules because I've got Jesus' grace. And you know how that gets projected in an unhealthy, immature believer? Is that you go out and you party on Friday Maybe even through your hangover on Saturday, and then you ask Jesus for forgiveness on Sunday. Does that make sense? It is, I'm only going to be spiritual when I feel like being spiritual. It is so dangerous. And the way that, uh, I, we, 
uh, Mako and Michael and I went to, we saw a speaker on, on Friday night in Los Angeles. And he was absolutely amazing. And he said something that just really rocked my world. I mean, this is a full-blown, you know, let's, let's feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, charismania type of meeting. And this guy says, you know what? He says, I have been traveling the world. I have been going from city to city to city. And one thing that I have, is, that I have been seeing in the American church is this disregard, disrespect for the grace of Jesus. Meaning that Jesus is going to forgive me again, right? Call it greasy grace, cheap grace. I love Jesus. I just don't want to have to follow him all the time. It is, look, part of it is, is choice. Part of it is something that we've got from our parents. Uh, I'm a big free will guy. So, look, we get to choose who we, this day who we serve. And, he, and every day when you get up, you choose this day who you're going to serve. Through the, the history of our church and some of the founding ideas that were, that were placed in here, um, is that uh, the church isn't meant to be a, a gathering of, of super spiritual people that have intellectualized their faith and they come together and they feel good about themselves. The, the church isn't a museum or a, you know, a seminary. The church is a hospital for sick people, right? Do you guys agree with that? I hope so. So it is, it is my desire that, that people come in, that broken people, messed up, dirty, lost, confused people come into our number. People that we don't like, people that don't look like us, talk like us, have the same beliefs as us, but they desire God. And so, as a result of that, um, we have another saying around here that we got from one of our founding pastors, spiritual fathers. He pastored this church for a while. Uh, his name is John Wember. He said, you've got to catch fish before you clean them. Right? So what does that mean? That means that, that, that for some people that come in through our doors, um, there's extra grace required, meaning that, and I don't mean this in a silly way because I know I say silly things, but I mean this in all seriousness. Like, if a, if a full-blown prostitute came in, like, like she had a night on Saturday and she came in on Sunday, I'm going to be okay with the way that she looks. Even though it might be completely inappropriate, I will, I will go there with her. And you've got to be willing to do it too. Like, she, we've got to have grace for people and where they're at. Right? You have to catch them before you can clean them. That's what God's called us to do. That will always be a value in our church. Now, from the conviction and, and kind of what has caught my attention lately is this, for the church, is this call to righteousness and purity and commitment. Meaning that, and this was, again, this isn't just my experience. This is the experience of probably the American church at large is that we have caught a lot of fish 
and they're still in the bucket and they still haven't been cleaned and they're choosing not to be clean. And what that is saying is saying, all right, here's the grace of God and it's just not that valuable to me. It's not valuable enough for me to change my lifestyle. That's what it's saying. And, and the speaker said something that just, it, 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 it worked me over. He says that, okay, you guys ready for this? Okay, that attitude towards the grace of God where it says, you know what, I'm just going to be a Christian on Sunday. I'm going to compartmentalize my faith. Like on Sundays, I'm spiritual. And then every other day of the week, I, I'm, I'm whatever I feel like being or I go into complete work mode or I go in complete party mode. And, and you see, our culture it has this ability to, to put things in compartments, compartmentalization. We just do it, and we do it very well. This speaker says that that attitude towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, you ready for this, is demonic. What? It's, it's a deceiving spirit. It's a doctrine of demons. Wow, that's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Now you came for a feel-good message today, didn't you? Mm. I'm pushing on you a little bit. Look. What are we doing with this faith, this grace that God's given us? Do you know that uh, wisdom is so crucial in this area? Like, if you haven't built in wisdom to even discern your own life, that that you can be led astray, the Bible says that even the elect, even God's special chosen people, and I I don't have time to get into that, but supposedly out there in this world, there's like like the super spiritual people, right? There's God's elect, right? And I'm, I'm not, I don't know exactly what that means, honestly. But what it does say is that they will be deceived in the end times. That one gets my attention. So even God's special little people are going to be deceived in the end times. They're going to be led astray. They're going to fall away from the faith. I, I, I believe that we're in the end times. I just do. My personal opinion. And so in, in, in the way that the world is laying out, the way that, that weird things are happening, the way that we've completely changed and rewrote our moral standards. It's like, oh my gosh, this, wow. Everything is moving so fast right now. Do you agree? Just the acceleration of the way the society is changing. It's like we don't even have time to adapt. That's why we need the word of God. That's why you need to be committed to a community. This is why you need to have wisdom built into your life. Let's look at real quick at Ephesians. I think this is so cool. All right, Ephesians chapter 3. You know what? We'll go ahead and start at 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the workings of his power. He's really realizing who he is in, in Jesus, and he's realizing that there's this power that's being worked through him. Although that I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to, what, preach 
to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make every and to make uh, plain everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things all right so just real quick look back into Proverbs 8 which may go red there's like this there's this mystery what is this mystery? Paul is tapping. Did you know that there's, look, this isn't, this isn't Gnosticism. There's no, like, no secret knowledge that I possess that, that you can pay me for. You can't make your checks out to Joshua Kapczynski. But th- it's not. It's in here, folks. You can learn the mysteries of God. It does require dedication. It requires some discipline. You have to be, you have to be mindful and you have to, Put your own soul into the mix. You need to have the, not only do you need to study and read the Bible, you need to allow the word of God. You need to have the Bible read you as well. Are you willing and able to do that? This is another reason why people don't have any breakthrough. They read the Bible to study the word of God, but they don't allow the word of God to study them and say, look, highlight the areas of their life that that need attention. You need to do these things. And these are the mysteries of God that Paul has called us, or, or that God's called us to understand. And Paul's, he's like, okay, there's mysteries here. What are they? And he highlights it. It started at the very beginning. And what happened at the very beginning? The creation. Proverbs 8 is an amazing poem because it talks, about, it, it talks about the creation account. Right? You remember that? It says, I was there from the very beginning, before, you know, before the mountains were formed. I was there when the seas rose up and I drew on the bottoms of the sea. It's very poetic. It's gorgeous. Some say that the seven pillars are actually, you know, reflecting the seven days of creation. Look, again, there are no seven points. I think what it's really trying to say, this is seven, you know, a little number, n- number fun here, is it's seven is the symbol of completion, right? It's, just, it's, the, it's the symbol of wholeness. It's that perfect number that says this is, this is whole and this is good. And so we need to have this holistic idea of what wisdom is in us. That's why there's no seven points. So what is this mystery that he's talking about? His intent, right? Okay, God's intent was that now through what? The church. Who's the church? We are. Hmm? You are. His intent was that through the church, what? The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities where? In Washington? No. What? In heavenly realms. Oh my gosh. I, 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 think that our, I think the church has completely missed this. That it was God's intent that through us, the world would see wisdom that is being illustrated from us. And not only the world, but the principalities... Where, <laughs> this is really bizarre, in heavenly places. This is like the cornerstone of spiritual warfare. It's wisdom. And when we, a lot of times when we approach, spirit, if, that, if that's a weird thing for you, I'm sorry, we can talk about it later. But there's, there's, there's a battle going on in, in the spirit world. There's a battle for your soul and for your family and for everything. And it's It's dirty. 
it's dirty fighting, folks. So you got to be able to, to prepare your hearts for spiritual warfare, for not only for your own soul, but for your family's soul. And in order to do that, you need to be able to discern and make wise decisions. I'll give you a practical example. Friday night, I had some really intense, vivid dreams that woke me up in the middle of the night. Like, freaked me out, almost scared me to death. And it had to do specifically with our church and even individuals in the church. And things that of spiritual nature. It would be irresponsible for me to let you guys have it right now. It would be unwise because I don't know. I'm pretty confident I hear God's voice. I really am. But sometimes it's pizza. Look, I'm human. God, sometimes it's pizza, guys. Sometimes it's the, it's the horror mo- I don't watch horror movies. Sometimes it's that, it's that what I saw on TV that infected my mind, right? It was that, that commercial of that horror movie that I saw right before I went to bed. And we know that if you go to sleep, the spirit world opens up. And you get ministered to in the night. And so what you fill your mind with and before you go to bed will minister to you in the night. So if you're reading the word of God, the Holy Spirit can minister to you in your sleep. Isn't that amazing? That will save you from going to another Bible study. Ah, for real. But if you open up your mind and, and, and your spirit and your soul to demonic things and then you go to bed and then you have nightmares and then you wake up in the morning and you think it's from the Lord, guess what? You have succumb to deceiving spirits. And if you act it out, you'll be practicing the doctrine of demons. Oh, I'm going there. Really? Can you believe this? So beware. So what does that mean? Like, just because you have an impression, just because you have a gut feeling, and we spent a lot of time on the prophetic lately, just because you have a prophetic word from the Lord, it doesn't mean that you need to let everybody know about it. So I'm keeping these things inside of me. I'm making them a point of prayer and a point of counsel. I've already bounced them off my wife, and I'm going to bounce it off of other people. And if it's correct, I'll share it on a Sunday. Right? Because what's the temptation? Oh, my gosh, I got some good, juicy stuff. It's so vivid. And I'm going to freak everybody out. Instead of building hope and encouraging you, I'm going to scare you into faith. That's... That's the temptation. So you see why wisdom is so important? Yeah. And I know you want to get, it's like gossip, right? It's like you got to get the gossip out. You just got to get it out. You just, that's don't. Oh, I got a secret. I got to tell somebody. You know what the Bible says? What Proverbs says? A wise man keeps secrets. Thought we weren't supposed to keep secrets. That's not what the Bible says. You got dirt on somebody? <sighs> keep it to yourself. Really? That's what the Bible says. All right. I think 
I better stop. If I could have the band and the ushers come to the front. And as they're on their way up, again, I want to encourage you. All right, what does it mean to build wisdom into my life? To construct, just construct it. How do I view, how do I view the law? How do I view grace? How, what's that balancing act? Here's the thing. Okay, pay attention to this above everything else. Because when Proverbs talks about wisdom, what is it? Is it a theory? Is it a philosophy? What is it? It's a she. It's, it's personified. Did you guys catch that? I, wisdom, I dwell in the house with prudence and, and understanding and discernment. I, wisdom, have righteousness. I fear the Lord. So there's, there's, a, there's a personification of wisdom. So when you approach the law, don't approach it for, for all of you like to follow the rules, don't approach it as the rule book. Approach it as the relationship. In 1 Corinthians uh, 1.30, it says, Wisdom was made into Jesus so that we can have righteousness, peace, and joy. It, go, it goes in, okay, you have, to, you have to embrace this wisdom as a relationship. And you can do it through Jesus. Because Jesus is the wisdom of God. Everything that he did in his life, like, oh my gosh, there's no way that I can, I can be Jesus. You don't have to be. Because Jesus lives the life that we all should live. And he died the death that we all deserve. Does that make sense? You, when, that, when you have that mindset that Jesus lived the life that we all should live and he died the death that we all deserve, the punishment that we all deserve, once we begin to think about that, understand that the cross is actually the wisest thing. It's, fools, it's foolishness to the world, but it's, it's extremely, it makes sense. Once we get to that point, we can say, all right, Jesus says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. You can find your rest in me. You're not going to find your rest in trying to follow all the rules and all the laws. But you can find your rest in a heavenly father, in a Jesus that loves you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being a good daddy, a, a father of wisdom that it's so unlike us where we see things that are going wrong and we, we you know, we, we pounce on them. And I just pray that you would just teach us the spiritual truths of a good heavenly father that says, all right, I'm going to come beside you. These are the, the moral absolutes and you can't break them. You can't cheapen my grace. But at the same time, I'm going to take you where you're at, where you're dirty and you're, you're, you're messed up and you need to, you need to be cleaned and, and we're going to take our time and I'm going to clean you. I'm going to show you what it means to walk in grace. 
So, Father, right now, I just pray that we will just identify with, with the grace of God that truly transforms us, that we're completely captivated, where, where we just, we're, we're embracing and going into relationship with wisdom, where it becomes the love of our life, where we follow your word that says, wisdom is supreme, therefore, at any cost, you get her. So, Father, give us the ability to do so. Bless this offering in your name. Amen. God to reign in your life this week to say, all right, Monday, when I go into work mode or I go into school mode or whatever I am, I'm going to allow God to reign in my life in that environment. So choose this day. Just, okay, who, don't compartmentalize. I think that's probably the take home for you today. All right, I can do this. I can continually throughout my day walk in the attitude and the atmosphere of praise. Maybe we'll talk about that someday. But Paul was continually praying all the time, nonstop, even when he was having a conversation with somebody. That's relationship with wisdom. Let's see if we can do that. God bless you guys. Have an incredible week in the Lord. We love you. Hope to see you tonight. <laughs>